By the time you guys hear this in February, the Super Bowl will have already been over. So <laughs> because we, we might be champs and we don't even know it yet. Yeah, we yes. <laughs> At the time you're listening, we might already be drunk and we don't even know that yet. Talk about time travel. Yeah. Talk about time travel. <laughs> you guys that are listening right now to our voices already know whether or not we won. And we don't even know. That's crazy. Well, you can tell that our beloved Lions were still in the playoffs when we recorded this, and we had no idea how far they were going to go. I really think you're going to enjoy this Valentine's Day time travel special, so let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Silver Screen Happy Hour. I'm Chris Wiegand. I'm Jerome Wiegand. Let's do this. <laughs> We've been We had to put this off for a week, and we've been lobbing insults at each other back and forth kind of passive aggressive because i liked one movie and apparently my brother liked the other one for some this, reason this this is gonna get <laughs> fucking hot in here it's going to get this might be our first real argument because it's not that you're wrong i will go over it we'll okay, go over it. okay okay we'll, i tell, actually to be fair i like the script structure of both films Okay. That's the that's the funny part. But okay, go ahead. Well, first of all, let's tell the audience what we're going to be talking about today. All right. So today we're doing our Valentine's Day special, romance all around. But we're going to splash him. We're going to pepper in a little time travel with each of them. We're going to do 1980s Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. And 2013's About Time with Donal Gleason and Rachel McAdams. What's his name? Donal. Say it again. It's Donal. It really is Donal. <laughs> I, I know it's spelled all fucked up. But he even said in an interview, he said it's pronounced like tonal, but with a D. And he's like, the, he's like, Donal. And he's like, the M is in there just to confuse Americans. He literally <laughs> said that. That's awesome. <laughs> so there you go. So it's Donal Gleason. Uh, Bill Nye's in it as well. Uh, a couple other people I like of note. Bill Nye. We'll get to both. Oh, I love Bill Nye. And we'll get to both uh, the cast of, of each film. But anyway, so both deal with, I mean, we're going to go over the log lines and everything, but both deal with love and the relationship to time travel. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm fired up. I actually love the script structures of both, but I had major problems with one of them, and I cannot wait to dive into it. So which one do you want to do first? Well, what I want to do first is open my beer. So oh yes, I, we have to talk I'm, about what we're drinking. I'm what really excited about what I found. So I'm gonna talk first. <laughs> Go for so it. So I went to uh, Total Wine and Spirits. I think is the name of the store. It's like Sam's Club of liquor and beer and everything. I think I read every can of beer in that place looking for something to do with time travel. I couldn't find any. I've seen I've seen time travel cans and I can't remember the, the brewery. But you know, craft beers there's there's so many of them, but I found the ultimate beer that has a nod to time. The name of this beer is called Softly Spoken Magic Spells. Ooh. Now, you probably don't know what that's in reference to, do you? Softly spoken magic spells. Yeah. No, I don't think so. It's the last four lyrics in Pink Floyd's song, Time. 
Oh. Softly spoken magic spells. And the way the time travel works in both of these movies, it's kind of magical, right? It's it's kind of, they didn't <laughs> oh, build a time machine. We're definitely going to talk about the fucking magic of it all because <laughs> magic comes with some massive rule breaking. Yeah, it does. But, but we'll get to that. So anyways, that's in this, this is Imperial IPA. This is going to knock me into next week. It's 8.6%. Beautiful. Um, I do have another beer that I'll mention if I do crack that one, but I'm going to drink this one first. Softly Spoken Magic Spells. Oh, that was like a double bump. It cracked and then it cracked again. Oh, my God. A little hazy. Not a not a clear. Uh, it's kind of a hazy IPA. Look at that. That's very very beautiful. thick head. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Sounds like we're making love to our beers. <laughs> I was gonna say something very crass, but you oh, know yeah. what? It's good. This Imperial. is the Valentine's special, so let's try to keep it romantic <clears throat> and not sexual. So this All right, was, is it my turn? I forgot to mention it's made by Single Cut Beer Smiths. That's the name nice. of this brewery. So. Well done, okay. fellas. Is it my turn? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I actually got this bottle for Christmas from my neighbor, Tyson. little shout-out to you, bud. And it's called Horse Soldier. So I was saving it for the show without it having any sort of connection, except for in Somewhere in Time, there's horse and carriages yeah. because on Mackinac Island you cannot have a motor vehicle. Yeah, the, yeah. tell that to the <laughs> people that made the movie, though, because yeah. when, when he arrives, he's in a car. Yeah, of course. But I think in the movie, it's not supposed to be Mackinac Island, right? right? It's, it's some just, kind of fictional it's, place. It, it's just a grand hotel. Okay, let yeah. me... I, I, all right, so here we go. Oh. <laughs> nice. Okay. All right. So horse soldier, because there's horse and carriages in somewhere in time, and this is a toast, can up. It's your can up or your glass up there. Yeah. Uh, this is for our Valentine's Day romantic special. How sweet. Cheers. Cheers. Go Lions. Mm. Wait, wait. When's the Super Bowl? So for those that can't see me, <laughs> I'm wearing my Detroit Lions hat because last night, the time of this recording, not last night, but this past weekend, weekend the Lions won their first playoff game since 1992. Very Wasn't exciting. it 91. Well, the 91 season, but it was January yeah, you're 92. Right. Okay. So, gotcha. So, so that's what, what is that, 30? 30 plus years. <laughs> 30 some years, good God. <laughs> well, the Lions are in business because, at the, again, at the time of this recording, all we know now is that we're hosting another playoff game, this time against the Tampa Bay Bucks. So, and we already uh, beat them once this year. No, I don't want to jinx yes. them, but man, yes. I'm excited. And we beat about them on the game. road, yeah. and this time is at home. So, hope, we are favored by six and a half. So at the time, by the time you guys hear this in February, the Super Bowl will have already been over. So we, we Valentine- might be champs, and we don't even know it yet. Yeah, we yes. <laughs> at the time you're listening, we might already be drunk, and we don't even know that yet. Have to talk about time travel. Yeah, talk about time travel. You guys that are listening right now to our voices already know whether or not we won. And we don't even know. That's crazy. I wish one of you could come back and tell us right now because we're, well, only if we win because if we don't, I want to know about it. (laughs) Yes. But do it the Donald Gleason way where you just have to go in a closet. Yeah, right. (laughs) Because Christopher Reeves' way, 
is fucking taxing, man. And it's going to take a lot out of you. So if you're going to come back in time, either use the DeLorean or use a closet. If, okay. If we find out, like, they almost won but, like, fumbled or something or had it called off by the refs, we'll, we'll wind up like Christopher Reeve did at the end of that movie. Yeah. Or, or oh, yeah, exactly. Or we could do something else from Christopher Reeve movie and Superman and just try to fly around and around and around and, until the right. earth goes back in time. All right. So which one do you want to start with? I'll leave it up to you because I could go either way. Here's the thing: I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off a lot of Somewhere in Time fans because there are some freakish, including mom, freakish fans when it comes to Somewhere in Time. So they have a fan club. There's like a I cult know. following. Let's go with Somewhere in Time. Let's okay, start. let's go I, don't, jump into cr- it. Chronologically, it was first. It came out in 1980. Yeah, adapted screenplay by Richard Matheson from his own novel, which was called Bid Time Return. I think the producers realized what a terrible title that was. So when he they asked him to adapt his own novel into a movie, they changed the name to Somewhere in Time. And coincidentally, future editions of the book that were re-released started changing that name to Somewhere in Time. Because the so, movie was so popular? The movie was popular, and the title, Bid Time Return, it just sort of bid its farewell. Hang on. Pause real quick. Yes. Can you pull that microphone closer like to the center of my screen, closer to your face. Yeah, yeah. Like that? It will sound better. It, but then you won't see my glorious face. All right. It actually improves the experience for me, too. Fuckhead. <laughs> all right. Here we go. <laughs> Matheson had a long career in early television. And he also wrote films such as the early Spielberg thriller Duel, for those that are fans of early Spielberg work. Later on in his life, he just kind of stuck to big novels, but they were made into huge films. That he wasn't the writer of, but of course he was the writer of the novel. What Dreams May Come, Stir of Echoes, Mm. and I Am Legend are all films based on his books. Directed by Janu Swark, previously known for directing Jaws 2 in 78. Afterwards, he did Supergirl in 84 and a lot of television. He ended up doing a lot of, and I'm talking double-digit episodes, for each of The Practice, Jag, Without a Trace, Smallville, and Grey's Anatomy. Wow. So, big-time TV director later in his in his career. So, Somewhere in Time was released on October 3rd, 1980. It finished its box office run with a pitiful $9.7 million domestic. However, it is worth noting it only cost $5 million to make. So, it actually married a profit. Now, that is roughly $36 million in today's dollars yeah. of, of money that it made. But it was only good for 38th place among the top grossing films of 1980. We already know. I'm going to do a little trivia. What was number one that year? This should be an easy one. 1980? 1980, the number one top grossing movie of the year. E.T. No, it hadn't, E.T. hadn't come out yet. That was what? 82. 82. Oh, um. I'll give you a hint. I can't even give you a hint. It's too fucking easy. Don't say, don't say Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was 81. All right, I'll tell you. I, all right, I will give you a hint. It's only one of the greatest sequels of all time. Empire didn't come out in 80. Yes. Did it come out in 80? Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back was I'm the number. I should have known be. this because we went over this be. before. Yes, you should be. <laughs> Remember, it was every three years. It yeah. was 77, 1980, and then uh, Return of the Jedi was 83. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back was the number one movie of the year. <clears throat> All right, log me. All right, somewhere in time, a Chicago playwright uses self-hypnosis to travel back in time and meet the actress whose vintage portrait hangs in a grand hotel. Now. In a the, grand hotel. In a grand hotel. Right. They, they, they hesitate saying the grand yeah. hotel. But so here's, here's 
something right off the bat. Clearly, it says to go back in time and meet the actress. Mm. That's his goal. That's his tangible goal. Gotcha. He just wants to meet her. He's so captivated by this photo, by this this picture. He wants to meet her, and that's important because that is a tangible goal. And when you get the tangible goal, Chris, in the first few minutes, right? No, Jesus, oh my God, I, I, I'm usually I, drunk when we talk. Man. Sometimes, I, <laughs> sometimes I think it's just you're not even listening to me. You're like you're like playing Monopoly Go on your phone while I do these shows. It's, <laughs> The tangible goal you get at the midpoint scene. That's always your false victory, right? And then your spiritual goal is what well, you get at the end. The tangible goal is isn't it usually wants. achieved at the midpoint scene. Yeah, that's yeah. What he I, wants. I, yes. I misunderstood the question. All right. Oh, you mean you thought I meant like like the how theme. do we how do we find out the yeah the theme? Oh, okay, okay, what, well, yeah. okay. So yeah, no, no, no. So that, so it's very important that the logline says it like that. It doesn't say anything about falling in love. Right. It just says go back in time and meet the actress whose vintage portrait hangs in the Grand Hotel. Okay. We have the Beats. Opening image. They're at an after party of the play that Richard Collier has just written and put on, and he's surrounded by people who pretend to love him. Theme stated at the 2 minute 30 second mark, an old woman approaches Richard and says, come back to me. Mm -hmm. Now this is a little early for a theme, but they, we kind of get things rolling pretty quickly in this in this film. This is going to be the running theme throughout the rest of the film. Will he or won't he be able to come back to her? Now, I, I'm going to take you to the second act, and we're going to do what I lovingly call the emotional shifts, the positive and negative. Yeah. You know, something that leads you. Remember, we talked about this with the Thelma and Louise show episode, right? The every other scene, she's yeah, either yeah. Alpha Thelma and then she's Baby Thelma. Right, right. Here, it's almost every other scene, he's going towards his spiritual goal. Or he's being pulled away from it. And it's you'll see the structure is, is actually perfectly written the way it is. So when you said this screenplay is a joke or something, I almost threw my phone. But we'll get to that. All right. It's, so anyway. It, it's too. It's silly. I'm going to hold my It's It's comments. a fantasy. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, that was the theme stated. Okay, B story. Eight years later, we run into Arthur. Arthur, at this point, is an old man. Arthur serves as the helper character, both bookending his trip back in time. Before he goes and when he comes back, he makes an appearance in 1912, but only as a child. But he does serve as the B story because he gives Richard the information he'll need to reach his spiritual goal, including the info on the mysterious portrait, which starts the whole damn movie to begin with, right. that he sees in the Hall of History in the Grand Hotel. Inciting incident, 17 minutes in, Richard is, is investigating the picture of the woman, and he discovers the picture of the old woman. And he recognizes the old woman. He knows now that the old lady that came up to him at the beginning and said, come back to me, is in fact this actress named Elise McKenna, who was in the photo in the Hall of History. Good name, Elise. Yes, very good name. Okay, d debate begins. So he gets the idea of self-hypnosis time travel from a professor. And he starts the preparation, right? First he wants to know if it can be done. This is all in the debate because he doesn't know yet if he's going to be able to do it. So he gets the idea, he gets some ideas, he, he, the professor says that he believes that it can be done, so on and so forth. Catalyst. When he sees the register book in the attic, now keep in mind, he attempts and fails, right? He, he tries it, and he fails, and he, and he kind of is thinking, oh, this is BS, this isn't mm -hmm. going to work, and then, and then like this is all kind of conserved as like sort of a debate, but running into the catalyst here. 
uh, he realizes he's got a tape recorder running. Mm -hmm. A tape recorder is current, present day, so he's yeah. got to get rid of that, right? Yeah, that was one of the things. He had to get rid of anything that reminded him of his present. Right, and and he didn't believe yet. He needed the belief. So what does he do? He goes to find Arthur, the B-story helper character, and says, Arthur, where can I find the old registry from back in 1912? Oh, it's up in the attic, of course. Somehow he's just able to go up into the attic <laughs> right. of the grand fucking hotel and find the registry from 1912. But, okay, fine, it's a movie. It's a movie. And he finds that he was there mm -hmm. in 1912. He signed the book. That gives him all the rest that he needs, right? He's like, I'm in now. I know it. I was there. Right. So it, it does work. It has to work. It had to have worked. So now that's his catalyst because that's what catapults him into the break into two. <clears throat> which is he is now in 1912. And 1912, of course, is the mirror flip of Act 1. Yeah. So that's how you know you're now in Act 2 is because he wakes up in the Grand Hotel and is fucking 1912. And he's like, holy he shit, He wakes I'm up here. in the room of some other people. <laughs> well, this is interesting because we're going to talk about this later. Yeah. He, he checks into the Grand Hotel in 1980. He picks a room, any old random room, and then he does the hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Now, he wakes up in that same room, but in 1912. Well, at that time, it's somebody else's room. Right. <laughs> right? So he, of course, has to try to get out of there. And then, no, so we have the next segment is the fun and games, right? The first half of Act 1. He attempts to. Now, here's where we're going to do our positive negatives, okay? He's going to try to track down Elise. He meets young Arthur. And now we're going to pinpoint the positive and negatives that lead to his spiritual goal. And they're almost every other scene. It's insane. So he sees her by the lake. Oh, by the way, this has a similar problem. Um, this is the only problem with the script. What other film did we just talk about that does this? When you spend so much time. Oh, it was it was Fat Man and the Christmas special. <laughs> when you spend so much time on the setup. Yeah. You end up getting to your midpoint scene relatively quickly, yeah. right? There's not a lot of meat there in the fun and games section. That happens here. There's only a few scenes. There's a really long scene where he sees her at the lake. Yeah. But anyway, that's all right. So that's the uh, the so he, when he first gets there, he's fumbling around the playhouse trying to find her, and he can't find her, and nobody wants to help him out, right? Right. Negative. Sees her by the lake, and he, and they speak for the first time. Positive. Intro to manager WF, W.F. Robinson, played by Christopher Plummer, who gets in the way and, you know, says uh, he doesn't want him, you know, he's trying to get him away. Right. Uh, he's involving himself to get in the middle of the interaction. That's and, a negative. And he, his role, he was like her manager, right? Yeah, he's like a manager. And again, so a lot of that meat is within a few scenes, and we're already at the midpoint scene. Midpoint Some, scene? Something I didn't really get, and there's like... <laughs> I guess there's a lot, like, as the story goes. To me, it was very two-dimensional and everything. But, like, they they kept saying this thing, like, is he the one or something like yes. that. That I didn't get that. It's like, so, why did he have this idea that there is going to be some mysterious guy that's going to show up someday? Where'd so that come here's from? The, here's the funny thing. So I thought the same thing. As I'm watching and I'm thinking, you know, all of that would have mattered more if they had explained what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> but then they do. She Wait. says it. She explains to him later when it's just her and him when they escape on the horse and carriage. Yeah. He asks her, why did you say are you him? You know, and he's and she then tells the story. And I'm like, oh, well, if you would have said that earlier, I wouldn't have yelled at the TV. I can't remember the, what she told she him. She does explain it. She just says that when she first got hooked up with W.F. Robinson and she first started to get famous, he said, 
that he had this prophecy, like almost like Anakin Skywalker like prophecy, <laughs> that someone would come along and take her away and ruin her career, uh... and and that she would fall in love with this person and go with them, and her career would be ruined, right? So they already had this sort yeah. of thing in there, right? I thought it would have been again. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I thought it would have been cool if it had been revealed that maybe he had gone back before, earlier, to where W. F. Robinson had already met him. But mm. then that wouldn't make sense, and you know, a yeah. lot of cloudy there. But okay, so let's just stick with what <laughs> we <right>. got. <laughs> Midpoint scene. He gets his first dance with Elise, and she reveals that she knows something about him, but can't quite put her finger on it. This is positive, and this is this is a positive element. And he has achieved his tangible goal. Not only has he met her, but now they're talking. Right. Remember, when they first meet, he he doesn't have much of a conversation with her, right? Because she's kind of stuck on stupid, and he's stuck on stupid. They're just sort of staring at each other awkwardly for like 30 seconds. And then painful. the manager comes along, and he's like, oh, what's going on here? Get out of here, Superman. And, you know, it's like, so, you know, it's so weird at the beginning. So this is actually his tangible goal that he has achieved because he gets to dance with her, and they're actually having a conversation. All right, false, why is it a false victory? Because this leads to W. Duff Robinson's jealousy and sabotage. Negative. Bad guys closing in. Persistence in the hallway. He finally lands his first date. Positive. While having breakfast, W. F. Robinson enters. This is the next scene, by the way, and tries to get tries to get tough with him. Negative. They go out on their first date. A montage of them sort of falling for each other, culminating in an end of the date kiss. Positive. W. F. Robinson interrupts again. Negative. This is all, like, yeah. right after each other. A play. Elise goes off script and pours her heart out to Richard, who's standing in the crowd. Positive. W.F. Robinson wants to meet and ends his meeting with him with a savage beatdown. Negative. Dressing room. Elise confesses her love for Richard. Positive. All is lost. Richard wakes up in the barn <laughs> and finds that the company, the acting company, has left. Elise is gone, and he has no means to find her. Negative, and all is lost. Dark Knight of the Soul, depressed and sitting outside, he can't begin to contemplate what he's possibly going to do next. Break into three, Elise arrives in the background and yells to Richard, Richard! And they're reunited. Positive. <laughs> Break into three. Five-point finale. Here we go. Gathering the team. This is code for sex. <laughs> okay? Gathering the team. What I mean by that is gathering the billions of sperm oh, because God. Richard and Elise finally bone. Okay, execution of the plan. Richard and Elise now are snacking the next morning. You presume they've been up all night boning because they're still like <laughs> half-dressed, right? Richard and Elise, while snacking, are discussing their plans for the future together, right? Hightower surprise. He see Now, wait, before we get to the Hightower surprise, the prophecy was almost was, was, wasn't true until this moment, right? She did meet a guy. Christopher Reeve even says in the meeting with, with Robinson, she's going to continue to act. I'm not going to keep her from her career. We're just going to be together. That's all. Right. And while they're sitting there snacking, she even says, oh, I'm going to keep acting, but we'll be together. So the prophecy of the one that would come along and take her away from this business hadn't happened yet until the Hightower surprise. Right. He sees the coin in his pocket that says 1979. And it catapults him back to the future. I had to put that in there. Back to the future. <laughs> Dig down deep. He wakes up in 1980, and he can't get back. He realizes he's lost her forever. Execution of the new plan. He doesn't eat. Mm. He doesn't eat. He doesn't do anything for days, and he seemingly dies of a broken heart. Climax. A and B stories collide as Arthur enters the room, calls for paramedics, but it's too late. They can't save him. 
which leads to the resolution and closing image, and Richard achieves his spiritual goal by being reunited with Elise in heaven for all eternity. Okay? We were now, laughing so hard at that point. Now, you're such an ass. You know, this is the part that mom cries in every time. It's it's so unbelievable, man. Every bit of this was so unbelievable. It's a fantasy. You know this that actually if you look up like the 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 like the genres of this film, they put it in the sci-fi section. Sci-fi? Not the, not the romance. It's in sci-fi. Oh my god. But anyway, yeah, because it's it's a fantasy. Now, wait. So we're going to a couple things on character arc. The tangible goal, right, was to meet her and talk to her, and he achieves that at the midpoint scene. His spiritual goal was to be together for eternity. He did not know that that was his spiritual goal. That's the key thing. If you were to take Richard at the end of the movie and take him to the beginning of the movie, he's a young, hot playwright in the beginning of the movie. He'd be like, there's no way I'm going to kill myself for some old bitch who just came up to me and gave me a pocket watch. No (laughs) fucking way. But he's got to learn the journey and realize that that's his spiritual goal was to spend eternity with Elise because they were 80 years apart. Or no, what was that? 69, 68 years apart? They're 68 years apart. Yeah. So for the only way for them to be together, both, you know, young and good looking, is to be in heaven. Yeah. So they achieve their spiritual goal. He's with the woman he loves. Okay. Now, before I continue on on my notes, yes, continue <laughs> on with your interactions. First of all, is this the first time you've seen the movie? No, no. So I, I we usually talk about like our history with the sh- the movie. I don't right, remember the. the shit. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I remember loving the movie. It was on cable a lot when and, we were growing up. Yeah, I think up. it was on cable a lot. I mean, obviously, I didn't see it in 1980 because I was, right. I, you know, nine years old or whatever. Yeah. But I remember well, like liking when we got it. HBO, when we got HBO, remember? Yeah. So and I we think I liked it because of time travel. I, I was just, mm-hmm. you know, drawn in by the idea of time travel. And it was Superman. And it was Superman, right? Exactly, yeah. and that's why it probably made money at the box office. It barely well, money it made. It barely, but it it did. It you know. They cleared it a made profit. his money back. Yeah, yeah. It made it clear to profit. So, rewatching it now, I watched it with my wife Jesse, and cold, heartless Jesse. It was. It was like, <laughs> well, we've watched so much. There's so much good. Even television now is like movie quality. A lot. A lot. We just watched 1883. Blown away by that series. It was amazing. And like the, this, this movie was so two dimensional. It was like. You're right. It was like a fairy tale, you know? It's very much like a fairy tale. Yeah. And, and, because... and there... Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was just going to say, like, the the whole idea, like, that they... Like, I... I at the end of the movie, I, I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, that must have been one hell of a lay. <laughs> because 60-some years go by, and this woman's like, come back to me. Dude, she's <laughs> like, I haven't had dick in 68 years like yours, Superman. <laughs> Get your ass back to me, because if I don't get dicked down like that again, I'm going to die an old cranky woman, which is what happens, by the way. She dies an old cranky woman. So that's, yeah, and so that's what I was like, it was just so unrealistic. So who you knew Christopher mean? Reeve had some major sex prowess? Uh, it was like the, uh, the biggest, prowess. the most ultimate one night stand in the history of one night stands. <laughs> well, you could say they were probably up all night, so they did it several times. <laughs> but obviously he rocked her religion, dude, because she was willing to give everything up after that. <laughs> but seriously, though, so here's the thing. Well, she didn't know she was going to kill him by telling him to come back. 
That would have been even more diabolical if she knew as soon as he got back, he was going to die. Right. Right. Well, she didn't know yeah. that part. There's no way she could know any of that. <laughs> right. She I think she just thought, come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. But don't bring that fucking coin with you again. <laughs> time, asshole. She should have said that. Yeah, she should have. She should have said, plot come flaw. back to me and leave all your fucking pennies in the goddamn room. <laughs> anyway, so, because there is foreshadowing to that, by the way. Yeah, I don't I know. know if you caught it. Yeah, I did. When he was preparing everything, he's looking at the coins that are dated 1912, and he's like, okay, okay. And then he sees some 1979 ones, and he's like, oh, oh, that was, oh, that could have been yeah. a problem. Huh? And he takes them and puts them away. Like, you obviously missed one, jerk hole. Like, you miss one. And, of course, that's the one you pull out. Out yeah. Right after you just had the boning of your life. Oh my god. Ugh. Anyway, all right. So moving on to plot holes. <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of these for both of these movies. But anyway, actually, there is. There's only really one. There's a lot in the next movie. There's a one here that is hard to explain. But I was gonna say, I actually thought this is. You just called it two dimensional. It's it's so true how simple this movie is mm -hmm. compared to how complex the next movie is. Right. Right. There's so many more meticulous intricacies in the next movie that it makes rule breaking inevitable. Oh yeah. But in this movie, it's pretty straightforward. It's very like you said, two dimensional. So it doesn't leave a lot of room for rule breaking. There is just only one, not really a rule break, but sort of a plot hole, and that is, how the fuck does he move around? How is his body moving? So I'll give you an example. Like I said, when he first hypnotizes himself, right, he goes back in time. He wakes up in the room that he's in. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. In 1912. But then later at the end of the movie, when he finds the coin, he's in McKenna's room. He's in Elise McKenna's room. Yeah. And when he gets catapulted back, he wakes up in that room in right. 1980. And he has to get up and be like, oh, fuck, he has to get out of this room and get back to his room. Yeah, so where's he running his, around in 1980? That means his physical body is running around. fucking moved from <laughs> room, room to the other, which makes you think one of two things. One, does his body... Did his body disappear when he went into hypnosis and it reappeared in that room when he came back, which right. is unrealistic? Or all the time he's in 1912, like walking around and riding horse carriages and shit, is his body in real life doing that too? And people are just like watching him walk by like, hey, that dude's fucking out of it, dude. Look at him. He's like hypnotized. He, look, he's floating. Like, he's not even on a yeah. carriage, but it looks like he's on a carriage. Right. Like, and he's, <laughs> his, his mouth is moving. He's like not even talking. To like, like somebody would have stopped him or woke him up, right? Like, hey, buddy, you all right? Like, so obviously that's not happening either. So we know his body didn't disappear and we know he wasn't just walking aimlessly around 1980 while this movie's going on. <laughs> on so how the Island. fuck how the fuck did his body move from one room to the other, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the biggest plot hole. It would have been so much easier if they just said, "Hey, when he hypnotized himself, he went to sleep in that room and he wakes up in that room regardless of where he was in 1912." It's kind of like Tim in the next movie, he goes and comes back in that closet. It doesn't matter what he does in the yeah. meantime. He's in the same closet. So they could have done the same thing here. Just he wakes up in his bed. You know what I mean? Yeah. They try to get a, too yeah. it's almost like they try to get too creative, like, oh, but if he fell asleep in that room, then he wakes up in that room. Whoa. But it's like, how did his body get there, dumbass? Like <laughs> right. there's no you know what I mean? So that's that's the only thing that I to me I think is a plot hole. Okay, so, yeah. and, so and honestly, the 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 fact that like so much weight was put about, you know, on this romance that was literally a one night stand. 
It was, but I think they 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 do spend a lot of time building up his obsession with the picture. Well, so right? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> This is 2024. There There's a lot of been... young men that are infatuated with some pictures. Yes, yes. And I know how it feels to want to catapult to a different time and place. Oh, my God. To meet the person you're looking at in a video. I mean, a picture. Oh, no. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, wife. Anyway. All right. So so let's get to some quick trivia. You may have some, too. I don't know. I just pulled some up, some random ones. Yeah. Richard Matheson, who wrote the book and the screenplay, once said, somewhere in time, is the story of a love which transcends time. What dreams may come is the story of a love which transcends death. Mm. I feel that they represent the best writing I've done in the novel form. Anyway. Yeah, the, so this movie does kind of end in a sort of a Titanic-y kind of way. Yeah, very right? much, very like much so. Rose and Jack are reunited going, you know, on the staircase. And actually, if you think about it, I wonder if James Cameron was inspired by this because Rose is very much like Elise McKenna, mm. right? She lives her whole life, dies an old woman, mm-hmm. right? Warm in her bed, as as Leo says. Yeah. Right? Interesting. And he dies very young. Yeah. And she almost has to wait for him in heaven until he, or, you know, whatever. Timing is all fucked up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> She, you know what I mean? So you get what I'm saying, though. Yeah. It's very similar to where one of them died. He has to wait for her in Titanic. (laughs) Right, because they they were the same, they lived in the same time. Yeah, yeah. This movie, they're 68 years apart in time. Right. So he could die young, but die 68 years later. No. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) fuck, this is starting to hurt my head. He actually only died eight years after her. Yeah. She died the night of the play. Right, right. Right, okay. All right, so we're there. We're there. We'll find it. We'll find it. We'll find it. We'll have to cut all that out. All right. (laughs) So while they were shooting the film on location, this is kind of a funny story, a local movie house on Mackinac Island decided to play Superman, which was in theaters at the time. They decided to play Superman, which was a huge hit. And, of course, Christopher Reeve was in town shooting the movie. All the people from the set, the actors, actresses, crew, they all went to go watch Superman. No. Halfway through the movie, the sound goes out. Christopher Reeve stands up and starts saying the lines to <laughs> everybody's parts as the movie's going on. That's hilarious. Because he knew all the lines. He knew all the what lines. What a treat for the people in the audience, huh? <laughs> that would have been cool. Yeah. Another piece of trivia, William H. Macy is actually in this film. Mm-hmm. He's in the opening scene as a critic at the play, the play after party. This is another interesting one since of what we just went through in the fall when we did our Hoffa show. Poor box office is partially because the actors were on strike at the time, and they were not able to promote the movie. Hmm. It did receive an it did receive an Oscar nomination for best costumes. Did not win, but it did get an Oscar nomination. All right, are we going to close the book <laughs> on somewhere so, in time? I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. I mean, there's some people that are just die hard I, I'm fans. I'm telling you, there, there's a cult following. Look it up. Yeah. They have like a name and everything. There's well, like a president. And actually, if you want to go watch this movie on Mackinac Island every year, that you can. People come from all over the world. They get rooms at the Grand Hotel, and they have a, a screening. I don't know where they screen it, but they have a screening of somewhere in time in the Hall and, of History. And everybody dresses up in the nineteen, you know, early nineteen hundreds garb. Which is another funny bit. 
That, did you notice that they mentioned it two or three times that he gets this outfit from 1912 so that he'll fit in? But when he gets there, everyone's like, oh, that outfit is so 10 years ago. <laughs> and he's always like, why is everyone hating on my outfit? Yeah, like, that was He was funny. so proud of that suit and everybody bashed it. <laughs> yeah, that was good. So, yeah, let's let's move on. I think I, I found about time. We were, we were looking for something to watch, something to stream, and we were watching trailers and watch that one. And I think Jesse saw it before, and she's like, oh, I think you'll like this. So, so we watched it together the first time I saw it, and I loved it. I thought it was a great I thought it was a great story, and it and it was actually. I think we're gonna have to talk about some spoilers about how it ends. So if you haven't oh, we, seen we have about to. time, you need to it's go. Been ten years. Yeah, it's go, been ten go years. see the movie. It's good. Uh, or you'll pause enjoy this, it. or pause this. Go watch the movie, and yeah. then come back. And yeah, come on back. So, and for me, I know there's some. I know there's some plot hole, not plot holes, but what what do you call them? Continuity errors or something when it comes to plot holes. Plot holes. <laughs> it's not plot holes. It's, it's oh, they're plot holes. <sighs> <laughs> when it comes to try, it's they, they break the rules. They break the rules when There's it comes to time travel. Definitely some rule breaking. Yeah. Yes, yes. But the the acting, the I thought the script was pretty good, but the acting, especially the the actors, all the the the, the cast, they they carried it. I mean, it was just a, a it was enjoyable to watch. So, oh, you went tall. I went tall too for my second one. Nice, big hearted. What does that say? Big farted. Big, big hearted IPA, IPA by Bell's. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Bell's Two Hearted. Big hearted IPA is an Imperial IPA as well. So this is two Imperials back to back. Except this one's nine and a half percent. I better drink this one slow. But yeah, here we go. And I thought. It wasn't time travel, but a big hearted. I thought this, you know, these movies are kind of love stories. You know, the yeah. love is a theme through both of these movies. So big hearted IPA, I thought would be yes, a good choice. Big heart, big heart. Not a lot of big heart in this next movie. <laughs> what? <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of heart. See, okay, I'm going to, we'll get, oh my God, dude. It, it sounds like you were like had been up all night drinking, and this is the first piss you had the next morning. Oh yeah, this imperial right. man, this. Mm. <laughs> we need a sponsorship from Bell's now. All right. Wow, this is good, man. Thank you, Bell's. All right, go for it. Are we ready? Are we ready? Okay, I'm waiting for you to finish your love affair with this with this glass that you're just like making love to. It's, I mean, it's great. Just you're smell, going smelling all it. Chris, you're going all Christopher Reeve, and that glass is Jane Seymour. I mean, it's so pleasant on the nose. Anyway, so you want me to do the log line? What do you want to do? No, first? not yet, not yet. Let me build up to it first. All right, go for it. All right, about time. 2013 original screenplay written and directed by Richard Curtis. Best known previously for writing some UK gems such as Black Adder, the Black Adder series, but really became mainstream with his Best Picture nominated Four Weddings and a Funeral in 1994, which also earned him his only Best Screenplay nomination. He would go on to write popular films such as Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, and Love Actually, which he also directed. I'm a big fan of this guy. Okay, yeah. I, I, I love, love those. Notting Hill was so much fun. We, those Je, films. It was one of Jesse's favorite films in the 90s. Yeah. And I remember telling Jesse one time that I think the ending of Notting Hill might, might be the greatest ending 
to a romantic comedy I've ever seen. Um, Quite possibly. The whole in the press conference room. That's such a great scene, yeah. how it plays out. Hugh Grant and Julie um, Roberts. That came out in 1999, so really 99, yeah. early 2000s. That was Jesse's favorite movie. Br- Bridget Jones's Diary was 2001. Love Actually is 2003. Of the group, and keep in mind, Four Weddings and a Funeral was fantastic. It was up for Best Picture. I have a little trivia on that later, too. Of the group, Love Actually is my favorite. Yeah. Love Actually might be my is my favorite of the Richard Curtis movies. And the reason why I don't say that ending is better than Notting Hill, because there's several stories going on, so there's several endings. For instance, right. the Colin Firth ending is great, but the Alan Rickman ending is not so great. You know? So but Notting Hill, it's one story. So like that's right, like this, right. the Very sledgehammer clean. ending is is just great. Okay, we're getting off track. <laughs> okay, uh, About Time was released November 8th, 2013. It finished its box office run with $87 million worldwide. Wow. However, only 15 of that was domestic. <laughs> but it's a, it's a British movie. Sure. Yeah, so it's big in overseas. It was not that big here. It was good for number 81 on the worldwide list. Mm-hmm. By contrast, the number one worldwide film of 2013 was Frozen, which oh, made $1.2 billion, <laughs> with a B, billion dollars. Yeah. About Time's budget was only $12 million, though, so it turned a profit. Sure. That was All a right, pretty log- nice profit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Log me. All right. Log line. At the age of 21, Tim discovers he can travel in time and change what happens and has happened in his own life. His decision to make his world a better place by getting a girlfriend turns out not to be as easy as you might think. 100% bullshit. (laughs) Getting the girl was the easy part. Yeah. It's the second half of the movie, which we always know. Second half, things go to shit, right? Yeah, that's not a good log line. For this film, but, but but it's okay. It works. It works. Yeah, it works. All but right, that was so, his that 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 was his tangible goal, right? Yes, Getting a girl, yes. getting, finding love. He even says that at the beginning yep. when he first first learns that he has this power. He's like, I'd like to use it to get a girl. Right. Right. And his dad goes, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you say? He said something else. There's another word. He said he something used. like earth shattering or something or groundbreaking or something like big fucking whoop. You're like, you just found out you've got a power that nobody else has and you're going to use it just to get laid. All right, cool. Massive. I think he said massive. <laughs> oh, that's what he says. Massive. Yeah. And, and the and the best Bill Nye kind of way, yeah, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we have The The Beats. beats. Opening image, Tim wakes up depressed with his ordinary life. Set up after his 21st birthday on New Year's Eve, Tim discovers from his dad that he can travel through time. Theme stated at the 10-minute mark, uh, after trying it out and realizing his dad is not fucking with him and telling the truth, which because he thought it was a total scam at the beginning, his father says, and I quote, you have to use it for things that you really think will make your life the way you want it to be. End quote. This will be Tim's running theme. Will he or won't he? Will he use it for bettering his life long term? Or will he use it selfishly for instant gratification? Sorry, I just threw that in there with my little... I I put a little stank on that there on there. (laughs) Or will he learn... Or here's the best part. Or will he learn not to use it at all Mm. and just let life happen? Right? Okay, are you starting to get an idea of where I'm going with his spiritual goal? All right. Yep. More setup. He tests it out on the summer of Charlotte, played by Margot Robbie in an early movie for her. 
only to find out that changing one thing might not be enough when dealing with women, right? His last night plan backfires. Mm -hmm. He learns a valuable lesson there. He decides to relocate to London where he meets his roommate, Harry, played by Tom Hollander, who I believe steals the show of this movie. Harry (laughs) is my favorite character of this whole movie. The fucking roommate is the best. Kind of like in Notting Hill. (laughs) <laughs> Very much. Well, okay, so we're catching a theme here, right? Yeah, the, the Notting yeah. Hill roommate. I love that guy. He was so, like, gross and funny. Yeah, yeah. Tom Hollander is great. Okay, inciting incident, the catalyst. His friend Jay takes him to a dark restaurant, which actually this restaurant does exist in London where the waiters and waitresses are all blind. So they kill all the lights so that the customers know what it's like. And they seat you with other people, and you have to try to get to know each other based on conversation alone. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, I, I messed up. You were talking about Harry as the roommate. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason I was thinking Rory. He's his co-worker. Oh, so, yeah, Rory is his co-worker. Yeah, he was funny too, but you're right. Harry was awesome. <laughs> yeah, Harry, Harry to me is, is the best. Rory had some funny moments too. But Harry, in fact, those two had one really funny scene together. I was going to save it for later, but I'll just tell you now. One of my favorite moments is when the baby shower, and they show Rory with this huge-ass stuffed animal, and they're like, wow, that's a nice animal. And he's like, oh, thank you. I was told you should never bring a toy to a baby shower that's smaller than the baby. And then the camera cuts to Tom Hollander, and he's holding this little stuffed animal, and he's all, oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) It's so great. Tom Hollander, Harry's part in that whole movie is just funny. When he goes off on the ant because all she wanted was a signature and he thought she was just some fan and he's going off on her and then Tim walks up and is like oh have you met my aunt and he's like oh fuck off <laughs> like, 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 like the bad luck only comes to Harry Yeah. And so, and by the way nobody in this film or perhaps any film in film history wears disappointment on their face better than Tom Hollander right. as Harry in this movie. It's so palpable every time. Just the way he stares with that yeah. look like. Doesn't he have to uh, say anything? God. He was the best part of it. If I watch this movie again, it's because of him. Yeah. All right. I already had to watch it several times for this show. All right. So. Okay, so his friend Jay takes him to the dark restaurant where he meets Mary in the dark, and they hit it off. 21 minutes in. Realizing, so debate begins. Realizing his roommate Harry's night as a play director fails miserably, he has to decide whether or not to intervene or to keep his wonderful night with Mary. Right? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The Mick Ultra had a, a point. The Mick Ultra had a point it wanted to make. It was trying to come out. I was holding it in. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Break into two. Tim decides to risk it all and help Harry. But now he's in a new world where the girl he hit it off with doesn't know who he is. So now we're in the upside down version of one of act one where he was sort of like met the girl, you know, and right, everything right. was kind of going. Now he's in a mirror flip, but the girl doesn't know who he is anymore because he fucking changed things. Right. Fun and games. The new Mary, the one that doesn't know who Tim is, is the B story. This is interesting. A clever play on this. She wasn't the B story when he first met her, but she's the B story now. Because now she's the person that he eventually marries, right? So a character that serves as the love interest, but also the person that will help Tim reach his spiritual goal. Trailer scenes emerge as we are now in Act 2. He... He can now manipulate how he meets Mary, 
how she takes interest in him, and even redoes a sexual encounter until it serves his needs. Yes, that sounded as stankful as I meant it to sound. <laughs> Suddenly, even Charlotte wants in his pants, and in a save the cat sort of way, we are to believe that he doesn't smash Charlotte, <laughs> even though he could redo it if he wanted to. If this were real... There is literally no way he doesn't nail Charlotte because he can always just go back. Right. But again, in sort of and I think Richard Curtis knew this, that uh, if you really want the audience to be on Tim's side. Right. He can't be a dog. His, this was his save the cat moment. But it's 100 percent bullshit. He nails Margot Robbie. You know he would. We all would. I mean, she's had... Barbie, man. Dude, and if you have the chance to go back in time and just say it didn't happen, but you still get to keep the memory, who the fuck wouldn't do that? So now I'm being patronized, and now you're going to start to hear my anger kick up because this is where it's going to go for the rest of so this, this fucking was, show. So this was the big problem you had with this no, movie. No, but it was the start. But it was the start. It was the start. It was like it was like it wasn't the knockout punch, but it was the first jab I took. Right? All right. Midpoint. Midpoint scene. One hour in. Tim realizes he loves Mary and proposes. He has achieved his tangible goal. He has managed to manipulate her I'm sorry, he managed to meet a woman who loves him. That was not an accident. Well false victory. Yes, it's a false victory because now we know that more shit's going to eventually hit the fan, right? Okay, because his life isn't perfect now. He thinks it is because he used his powers to get the girl, and that was his tangible goal, and the sun sets slowly in the west. Okay, <laughs> bad guys closing in. Second half of Act 2 is littered with life issues that Tim sometimes uses his powers to change. It is worth noting at this point that the times he could have changed things and didn't were mostly out of Mary's desires. He doesn't change the meeting with the parents because it's Mary that untimely announces that they're living together, not Tim. He doesn't change the wedding, even though there was a monsoon during the wedding ceremony. Right. Because Mary says, I wouldn't change this for the world. I loved it that way. Yeah. He even asks her, Yeah. Would you would you do it differently if you could? Because he's like saying, I can go in the closet. We can do this all over again. Right. And she says, No, I loved it this way. So he doesn't change it. But he does use his powers to change things like his best man. Yeah, right? I like that sequence. That was the good. The best man scene, yeah. Yeah. Of course, that brings us to, we're in Bad Guys closing in now, second half of Act 2, big, Kit Kat's Big Redo. So Lydia Wilson plays his sister Kat. They call her Kit Kat. I, I she, like course, her character. She has a very troubled life with a very yeah. problematic, troublesome boyfriend. He goes back and saves her from the accident. And then from Jimmy, which, of course, when he gets back, he finds out his kids are changed, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. By the way, I will say that Mary, as the voice of reason, pushing Tim closer as the B story to his spiritual goal, actually says the quote, if it's going to be fixed, she probably needs to do it herself. Right. End quote. Right? Okay. Yeah. That was at the one hour, 21 minute mark. A lesson Tim seems to struggle with. All is lost. Tim and Mary get the call that dad is dying. By the way. We've skipped over a section. I'm saving it for the plot hole, angry, <laughs> angry rant section. But when he finds out his daughter is now a son, he has to go back and fix that. But we'll save that. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> All is lost. Tim and Mary get the call that dad is dying. This is an interesting scene, though, because 
he wants to go back and change. What happened was while she was trying on dresses for her big night, and Tim is trying to tell her, yes, that one's fine. That one's fine, too. Whatever. He's doing the husband thing, right? Where it's like, just pick a dress and let's go. Right. He's not watching Posey, the daughter, who is literally destroying the wife's business papers for that night. Crayons on him, tearing him up like a dog almost. Right? He, They go into the room. They see the disaster. He's like... I'll be right back. He's just going to go to the closet and fix it. She won't let him leave. <laughs> she's like, no, you're not going anywhere. He's like, seriously, if you just give me one second, I can fix all this. And she's like, no, you're not leaving. You're going to help me. And he's like, but I really, I just need to walk out of the room for a minute. Like, hey. <laughs> yeah, <that was> good. <laughs> so it is a funny scene the way it's written. It ends badly, though, because the all is lost. They get the phone call in that moment. Yeah. They found out that dad is dying. Does he even have a name? I think they just call him dad throughout the movie. I think he's credited as dad, isn't he? I think his oh, credit. You're right. His credit yeah. name is Dad. Bill Nye. It says Dad. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's so great. All and, right. Yeah, and, and, her, and his mom is just Mum. Mum. That's what they say in Britain. Mum. Yeah. M U M. All right. I had to take another swig there. All right. Dark Knight of the Soul. Tim and Dad have a heart to heart where Tim asks him why he didn't fix it. You know, because that's what fucking Tim does whenever he sees a problem. Why didn't you just fix it? And his dad says at the one hour, 38 minute mark, quote, I never said you can fix things. I specifically never said that. Mm. End quote. Leading him to his spiritual goal. Break into three. Dad tells him how to live life and how to be happy. Five point finale. Here we go. Gathering the team. Dad lays out the plan. Live each day twice. Mm. Once like everyone else. And the second time to enjoy it and savor the moments of life. Execution of the plan. Tim does this. He's living out the days as his father said, but some days he's not repeating. He's starting to drift co- closer to his spiritual goal. Hightower surprise. Mary wants another baby. Mm-hmm. And per the rules, Tim realizes that, as he says in the movie, quote, saying yes to the future meant saying goodbye to dad. Yeah. Because once the kid is born, he can't go back again and see his dad because of the rule that was set up that changed his daughter Posey into a boy in the first place. Right. You can't go back prior to your kid being born because there's a billion sperm in you and for the chance that that one to hit the same way again is impossible and your kid's all fucked up and they're going to look different. <laughs> all right. Dig down deep. Doesn't take Tim long. He immediately gives it no more thought and says, let's do it. Okay? Execution of the new plan. Tim is ready to give it all up but but days before the birth of the child... He goes back to have one more moment with his dad at the beach and yet somehow not screwing anything up. Climax, Tim reaches his spiritual goal of realizing not to use the time travel at all. Live life to the fullest and let it just happen, mistakes and all. He even says in a quote in the very end of the film, I almost never use it anymore, he says. Yep. Right? Closing image, Tim on his cell phone with Mary. They're happy with their extraordinary life. Yep. Book ended from the first one. All right, let me grab my beer for this. Here, we're going to tear the fuck out of this painting we just made. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Whatever you're right, about you to say, ahead. whatever right, you're you... about to say, I don't yeah. think it takes away with, with, <laughs> with, you fall in love with these characters. I really do. I mean, Bill Nye, yeah, I, not I freaking love, I mean, I loved his character. I loved the uncle, the quirky uncle. I, I mean, so it's just. I loved every character but one. Okay, go, I'm going to just hand it back to you. I want to hear what your gripes are. 
Because I, I don't know. <clears throat> All right. It was a good story. First thing, and again, this is one of those rare things where I actually liked the way it was written. Yeah. It was written wonderfully and directed wonderfully and, like you said, acted wonderfully. Yeah. My problem has nothing to do with the structure. So here we're going to go. Notes again on arc. Tim's tangible goal is to use his powers to get a girl. He gets that halfway through the film. He gets the girl that he wants. Tim's spiritual goal is to live every day as it happens without having to use his powers. He achieves that at the end. Remember that often in scripts, if you follow the proper structure, the lead fights that spiritual goal the whole film till they learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. This is written perfectly like that. He has to learn the lesson and he fights against it with these wrong way goals. I can fix this. I can fix that. It reminded me a lot of that movie Butterfly Effect with Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Where he keeps trying, oh, fuck, man, I went and fixed that. Now something else is screwed up. I got to try to fix that. And now I got to fix that. And it's all these wrong way goals, right? All right. Plot holes and gripes. <laughs> Obviously, there are rules with a movie like this, and breaking of these rules are generally the problem and the creator of the plot holes. The most egregious plot problem right off the bat is that you can only travel back in time. You cannot go into the future. However, every time they go back, they come into the future. They break that rule. Whenever him or his father go back in time, they come forward in time. And you, and, and wait, wait, wait. I know you're dying to say, you're dying to jump in right now. The argument is, well, you can go back to where you were. But if you go back, there is nowhere you were. The future does not exist anymore. Yeah, details. <laughs> you can say what I said in Somewhere in Time. It's a movie. It's a movie. Okay. So I'll, all right. All right. Listen. Listen. I'll forgive that. I'll forgive that. That one. That one's okay. <laughs> Worse. At one point. So now, now we're starting getting into the real shit. So at one point he takes his sister back with him. Yeah. That... Only men can go back in their family. Yet he takes the sister simply by holding her hands. <laughs> It's a nowhere movie. Is, it's nowhere, a movie. Nowhere is that said that that can happen, but he fucking does it. He figures and out he, he can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what happened to the men in the family only stuff? Here's worse. When they come back, and again, these start to pile on top of each other. When they come back, all her new memories, including hooking up with Jay, are flooded into her head, but not Tim's. Why not? Didn't he relive that whole life, too? And yet he's like, Jay? She's like, yeah, I'm with Jay now. And he's like, Jay? Fucker, if she relived it all, you would have too. Yeah, that's a that's a hole. <laughs> I'll concede that one. <laughs> but they're so enjoyable. You're so lovable. You don't Wait care. Wait a second. You just We're not done way. yet. We're only scratching the balls on this one. Just look Hang the on. other way. Since we're talking about plot holes, let's talk about how when, <laughs> how about when he gets back and finds out that he now has a son. Posey is now a son instead of his daughter. Terrified, he gets the info from his dad that going back before the child is born, before the birth of the child, would mess things up because there's different sperm and you got a billion sperm and well, you can't everything can't be yeah. perfect the same way. Can't be perfect the same way twice. He goes back to fix it. How can he fix it? 
How is it going to be Posey by fixing it? If he goes back and lets Cat hook up with Jimmy, he has still altered his sperm. <laughs> if he goes back to when he has the idea to take Cat back, that moment in time is already lost and gone forever. It's already been redone. So how does he fix it? We don't know. <laughs> he just goes back, and when he comes forward, Posey's a girl again. It's a movie. What the fuck? It's oh a movie. So here's here's what I thought in that scene. I'm like, hey, Bill Nye, this would have been very valuable information when your son started having children. You yeah. know, time to have a talk. Yeah, and what does Bill Nye say? What does Dad say? Oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That's like a chick having sex with a dude, then she's got AIDS, and she's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Oh, that's, that's extreme. <laughs> <laughs> well, in reality, if this was reality, Posey would be gone forever. That's extreme. Mm-hmm. Right? All right, which brings us to the ending which takes a sledgehammer to everything we've talked about for two hours now. They travel back to when Tim was a child, and they spend time on the beach. Talk about altering sperm. They try to cover it up by saying, quote, if we're careful, we should be okay. Careful with what? Yeah. I don't understand. Time is still moving forward. It's actively moving. Yeah. There are a billion sperm running free every time you blow your load. Even if you try to match everything perfectly, it's going to be different sperm. So, it, And thus, a different child. Okay. Just going back to see his dad again, his kids would be different. Ultra different forever. Yeah. Now to the part where I get angry. <laughs> okay. Here's my hot take. I told you... I loved every character in this film but one. Tim is an unlikable person. Really? In reality. Absolutely. I even wrote here, this is my hot take. I can take all the plot holes you got. As you said, it's a movie. You can forgive them. What is unforgivable to me is what a controlling asshole he is. <laughs> And a pretty dumb for a lawyer, if you ask me, okay? Because he's shocked to see that Mary's number is missing from his phone when he changes Harry's play at the beginning. What? Mary's number's not in here? Why wouldn't it be? Because you fucking erased it. It doesn't happen now. You changed that reality. And then when he realizes that, oh, that's right. We didn't meet at the dark restaurant. Well, now I have to stalk her almost literally <laughs> and come up with bullshit that I don't even believe in, but I know that she does. So I say it to manipulate her and control her yeah. into liking me. Then he's shocked when he taps her on the shoulder and she has no idea who he is. He's like, he was, hey. It's like he was basically doing the Groundhog Day thing that Bill Murray Right, <laughs> right. And I mentioned that in here too. But he taps her on the shoulder and she's like, hi. And he's like, hey. She's like, I don't know who you are. And he's, again, he's shocked. He's like, how does she not know me? Are you fucking stupid? You erased the time that you guys met. It didn't exist anymore. Yeah. So for a lawyer, he's pretty dumb. But the worst thing is basically... Well, they do have to wear those wigs over there, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean... that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> the worst thing is basically the cloud that hangs over the entire film. He's a manipulator. He gets married disingenuously. The director, Richard Curtis, tries to solve this by setting up the whole, well, they kind of fell for each other at the dark restaurant to begin with. No. No, 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 no. 
she was interested in him after the dark restaurant. It takes a lot for somebody to fall in love with you and want to have your fucking kids. Okay? <laughs> that takes a lot. And he manipulates her every chance he gets. Okay? From the restaurant scene on, she gets there eventually because Tim can redo whatever he wants. To her, he's the perfect man who's never made a mistake. Wow, you could Think really you could really create a new trailer with him being the stalker. Think about this. His entire marriage is deceitful. If he spills grape juice on the couch, he can redo it to where he didn't spill grape juice. Right? If they get in an argument where he says mean things, he can redo it to where he didn't. In her eyes, he's the perfect fucking husband who's never made a mistake. None of us get that shit. We have to make mistakes. I That's hear, how relationships work. I'm not done yet. I hear a hint of jealousy. That's yeah, fuck yeah, I'm jealous. That's not a hint. That's a goddamn sledgehammering. Of course I'm jealous. This motherfucker, and I'll tell you something else. We're supposed to feel sorry for this asshole at the end. What? My wife wants to have another baby. I'll never see my dad again. That's all of us, you fucking prick. We all of us. All of us have to say goodbye to our father someday, and we never get to see him again. Wow. And we're supposed to feel sorry for you because now you can't go back in time whenever you want and spend time with him? Fuck you. That's the rest of the world. We all have to deal with that. I was not sucked in by that as any sort of emotional moment. In fact, I remember yelling at the TV, grow the fuck up, asshole. That's what we all have to do. We all have to say goodbye to our dad. Yeah. Not you, apparently. You're fucking special. Well, no, he did. He did have to. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Well, and here's the thing. I think it it did its job because it it pulled an emotional response out of you. Oh, yeah, it did. It did. But not the, not the one he was looking for. Well, I Not mean, the one Curtis was looking for. It made me think a lot about You've Got Mail, which is another film that gets me fired up that I can't believe a woman even wrote that movie, let alone that women like that movie. Halfway through that movie, Tom Hanks finds out it's Meg Ryan, yeah, and yeah. he then manipulates her for the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, you're and right. And she falls for it. Yeah, I didn't even think she about that. She falls for it. I'm going to be and drunk people, by the and, end of this. And women love that movie. And I'm sure women love About Time. I mean, again, I even mentioned Tim wields his power the way, the way Bill Murray does in Groundhog Day. But here's the difference. Bill Murray realizes that none of that shit matters. Yeah. He, has, not a, about, yeah, he, has, a, he learns his lesson. He learns his lesson. And, and again, Tim learns that you should let life happen. I get that. That's yeah. his spiritual goal. But... Bill Murray doesn't use any of the shit he learned to manipulate Andy McDowell's character at the no, end. Not Andy McDowell. All the other girlfriends. Right. No, no, no. At the end of the movie, though. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the movie, he's only focused on bettering himself. Right. He's not using all those tricks anymore. He grew past all that. Right? But Tim is still in a marriage he did not earn. He did not earn this marriage. And honestly, my biggest problem is that he's got a major secret that he's kept from his wife. He's never told his wife. He'd tell his fucking sister, but he won't tell his wife? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. yeah. He redoes their first sexual encounter together so that he can do it as many times as he like. Self-gratification. Now, the only justification is that at the end, when he's finally satisfied, when he finally did it right, she says, you're done already? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> and he's thinking, fuck, man, I've already nailed you five times, and you don't even know it, which is borderline rape, if you ask me. 
right. All right. I went too far there. I went too far. I went too far. All right. And I also mentioned again, I'm also not buying that he didn't nail Charlotte when he had the chance. Knowing he has the power to go back and take it back, he would have smashed her 10 times before going back and changing it all. But whatever. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. And then at the end, I go off on my whole thing about that he has to say goodbye to his dad. Something we all have to do as people. Tim pissed me off. And yeah, obviously. The, and again, the underlying the underlying theme, the underlying nature, I guess I should say, not the theme, but the underlying nature, that he is almost godlike in the fact that he can do no wrong. He can fix any mistake. He can fix any problem. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, anything. And like I said. You've had arguments with your wife. I have arguments with my wife. Everybody has arguments with their wife. He could always go back and make it so that argument never happened. In her eyes, he is perfect. That's not reality. Yeah. And that's a marriage based on deceit. And we never fix it. They're still together at the end. Yeah. Oh, because they love each other. How do we know Mary really loves him? She loves an idea that's been manipulated in her head like fucking Leo in that movie Inception. I think they should do a remake or uh, a sequel. They should do a sequel <laughs> where he divorces her and says, "We need to start all over because I've been fucking just." Dis- where he comes clean. <laughs> he comes clean. All right. All right. Things I liked. I already talked about Tom Hollander as the roommate. He does steal the show. He is my favorite character. The other things I liked is the soundtrack is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's such a great sound. Not just a movie who, soundtrack. Who who sang that song at the end? I'm gonna Not just the score though. It's littered with really good songs too. Yeah, like it's, well, it's the, really there was good. a song at the end that was just perfect for the for the movie. <clears throat> I can't remember. I know I have to look that. While you're looking that up, I'll give you a side note. Donald Gleason. I don't know if you know this. He is the son of Brendan Gleason. You know who Brendan Gleason is, right? Yeah, you do. He's that big redhead, huge dude in Braveheart, Gangs of New York. Oh, really? Uh, ah. Troy. Troy, he's in Troy, in Bruges. Yeah. So, yeah, that's his son. Of course, another ginger. Yeah. (laughs) They look a lot alike. So, again, while you're looking that up, (laughs) let me just tell the audience, listener. Again, for script structure, it's written very well. It's directed very well. It's acted very well. It's got a great sort of screenplay in which you can learn from if you're a writer. Reaching your spiritual goal at the end. Somewhere in time as well, as we dictated in Somewhere in Time, the way the whole second act is that positive and negative emotional shifts that we talked about, Mm -hmm. those are important writing lessons. That's how you keep your script from being boring. If you're like, man, I know how I want it to start, and I know how I want it to end, but fuck, I got this whole middle part I'm having trouble with. Emotional shifts, man. Positive, negative. Positive, negative. Watch Thelma and Louise. Same thing. Yeah. One scene, they're one thing, driving them towards a spiritual goal. The next scene, it's pulling them back. And then they go forward, and then they get pulled back. And then they go forward, and then they get pulled back. You keep doing that through your whole second act, you're going to create tension, and you're going to create way more interest in your story development. And your character is slowly but surely reaching their spiritual goal because the lessons going forward are stronger every time. Right? So both of these films had great script structure. My issue with About Time is solely with that sort of that cloud that just hung over it where I just felt that Tim manipulated everything (laughs) that was worthwhile in his life. And I got 
emotionally angry at the end when it came to the dad thing. I'm like, you know, we our dad is still alive, thank mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be forever. And and that I have to feel emotionally sad for Tim because he has to make a decision. Well, I think what the movie did for me is it made you so for the for the you know, the average watcher of this movie, everybody, no one has the ability to change time, to go back in time. Correct. So the message is to me, take hold of every moment. You know, make the most Which is of every moment. Spiritual goal. Yeah, take make the most of every moment. So that's why for me, it ends on this feel good idea. It, take a but hold of it. But he's still married. He's still married to Mary, and mm-hmm. it's still to me uh, is a sham wedding. It's a sham <laughs> marriage because she has no idea who Tim really is. Yeah, she only knows the Tim that he's allowed her to see. Hey, I'll give you that, man. I can't. I can't. <laughs> argue but it's a movie oh here we go fuck you didn't say that was somewhere in time but you're saying it for this one well at least it wasn't two-dimensional <laughs> but see and that and again we talked about how complex is about time compared to how simple somewhere in time yeah is, right yeah. like it's very very one of them has very few rules you hypnotize yourself and you're fucking there <laughs> and that's it until you wake up this one is like, my God, you can't do this. You can't do that. You, you gotta can't. Do this. Yeah, no redos. You got to you gotta go to yeah. town on her all night long. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like basically, yeah. It, and, and about time is filled with, you almost think Doc Brown's going to show up with a DeLorean. You know, I'm like, oh, let's go back. You know, like, it's just so complex with all the rules and shit. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so did you find the song? Hold on, I'm gonna pull up the soundtrack. The song I pulled up was actually the 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 instrumental song. That's beautiful, and it's just called "About Time." The score. The, the score, score the for the movie. Yeah, who wrote this? By various artists. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! So the album yeah. featured uh, sections from The Cure, The Killers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ellie Gold Golding, Amy Winehouse, Ellie Golding, Ellie Golding, Sugar Babes, Nick Cave, and Ben mm-hmm. Folds. The Luckiest. That's the song I was thinking of. The Luckiest. Oh, okay. So that was Ben Folds. Yeah. The Luckiest. That was a good song. So yeah. I I might put a link to the soundtrack or something in the in the show notes because I notes. I'll get yeah. in trouble by YouTube if I play music on here. So yeah, no, I mean, and again, great soundtrack. It, it's overall, it's a it's a very well made film. But I think that there was, and I and for a while I thought I was alone. So I like went on Reddit and I looked up old shit. Like, am I the only one with these problems? And there were other people popping up with like, yeah. oh, this is bullshit. It's changing her. It's manipulating her the whole time or whatever. And I'm like, so I'm not the only one that's seeing that. So as a screenwriter, how would you have fixed the problem, the biggest he's, glaring problem? He's. I'll tell you, actually, ironically, who does it right? The butterfly effect with Ashton Kutcher. He ends up realizing at the end that he's got to go all the way back to the beginning and change it all and let life happen. So what he does, I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but it's uh, it's it was right after it came on video, I think. It's been a long and time. And god for the life of me, I can't remember the girl's name. Is it Amy Smart? Is that it? Who's the female lead? Anyway, they have these problems throughout the film where he keeps trying to fix things and he's only making it worse. He goes back to when they're kids. 
and he walks up to her as a kid and he tells her something like, if you ever fucking come near me again, I'll kill you. And she runs off scared and, never, and avoids him for the rest of her life. And he saved her life that way mm-hmm. because he was no longer fucking with her. And then at the end of the movie, they see each other in New York City just sort of passing on the sidewalk. And he smiles like, and she kind of looks at him kind of like, do I know you? I feel like I know you. Mm-hmm. But, but he's smiling because he knows like, now maybe we can start over. Maybe we can do it for real and let life just happen this way. Like he changed, he fixed everything by right. redoing everything. Now that's the theatrical ending. I was told that there's a, or no, maybe that was the the change, the alternate ending. There was an original ending, I think, where he goes all the way back to when he's a child in the womb mm. and he kills himself. Oh, yeah. He, he wraps the umbilical cord around his head and dies. A little dramatic. Audiences hated it, so they changed it. The alternate ending is that he just changes his relationship with the girl and hopes to maybe do it right when they meet later as adults. You were asking about the uh, the lead's name. What's the girl's name? Yeah. It's Ashton Kutcher and... Amy Smart. Amy Smart. That's what I said. Okay. I had it right. She's great in that movie, too. But but that's that's how you do it right. You realize... You're not innocent. So the only way to fix it is to redo the whole thing and let life happen. Hmm. That's the only way for Tim to redeem himself. But here's why Tim's a fucking shitty-ass character. He's not willing to give up his woman that he fought hard to manipulate. He's not willing to give up his kids, obviously, because now he loves his kids. He's not willing to give up any of that, even though... And and actually, no, I'm not even going to say that. He doesn't realize he's a manipulator. He thinks... Hey, man, this is just my gift, and I'm in a great marriage with great kids. Mm-hmm. He's not once looked in the mirror and said, oh, this shit's deceitful. I fucking, none of this is real. Yeah. So I, he doesn't even take the responsibility or the accountability I that guess, what he's doing is wrong. I guess the hard the hard part about the the butterfly effect ending for for this movie, if he would have done that, it's hard because it's in in a way you're almost like erasing someone that was created, right? Yes. So like his kids would sure. no longer exist. Sure. So in a sense, it feels like you're killing them. So I understand the difficulty of of trying to do that, but at the very least, if they could have written some way where he came clean with his wife. You know, and like vowed to not do it again or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I don't but know that's not as that. clean but that's not as clean an ending as the butterfly effect. Because then she would say something like, Yeah, I wondered why we've never gotten in a fight before. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it occurs to me now, you've never fucked up in our entire marriage. Well, I got You've never made a mistake. I gotta hand it to you because for the last literally couple of weeks. You've been like poo-pooing this movie, and I've been really defensive. Going, what's his what's his problem? What's his I problem? I love this guy. I love this movie. <laughs> so, you've made me think, and I will concede that that is a very good point. I I I hand it to you. That is a very good point. I still love the movie. It's still an enjoyable film. Yeah, I will give it that. In fact, the wedding scene is great. I and by the way, we haven't even mentioned Vanessa Kirby, who plays the friend, her friend. She's great too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the wedding monsoon scene, she's pissed off. Her dress is fucking soaked <laughs> and everything. She is awesome. You know, she went on to be nominated for best actress 
for another film. Fuck, I'm going to be pissed off. I can't remember the name of it. It's the one where she loses her baby in, in childbirth. It's an at-home childbirth. Is it about her? Is that what it's called? Something like that? Oh, my God. I don't know the movie you're talking about. It, it, it's Shia LaBeouf plays her husband, and, and they want to have this natural at-home birth, so they get one of those. What um, was her friend's name? In the movie, I can't remember her friend's name. Her The actress was Vanessa Kirby. And, God, people are listening right now, and they're screaming at their fucking phone. Okay, I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. I got it. Pieces of a something? Pieces of me? Is that what it is? Pieces of a woman? Pieces of a woman, that's it. Okay, so Vanessa Kirby, yes, she was nominated for Best Actress for Pieces of a Woman, huh. 2020. That's an intense film, dude. Check that not, out. The whole movie is not intense. The first act is intense. Okay. I'm telling you right now, look at me. Yeah, yeah. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> Give me your full and undivided. Okay, gotcha. It's a hard scene to watch. Okay. The baby delivering and dying at birth. Oh, yeah. That it's would be a rough. hard, hard scene to watch. Wow. But the whole rest of the movie is about how they're like holding this. What do they call the woman that comes to your house to help you give birth to the midwife? Kid, uh, the midwife. Yeah. They how they try to sue her and take her to court for killing the kid oh, wow. because of her negligence. But it's really about her marriage with Shia LaBeouf's character is falling apart, and you know, I mean, it's an intense movie. And she was nominated for best actress. This I didn't know she was in this movie hmm. about time. So when I started watching about time, I'm like, hey, that's the chick from fucking. Whatever, Pieces of Me or whatever it is. Changes of a Woman. I already forgot the title again. Fuck, man. Sorry. It's, it's these a, beers. Yeah, it's, you know. It's pieces of a, a Woman. It's not an easy title to just roll off your tongue. Pieces of a Woman, yes. You can watch it, but it's intense, and particularly the first act. So I told you I was going to give you another piece of trivia about four weddings and a funeral. Let me tell you one of... Ugh, it is considered by some, including myself, that 1994 was the greatest collection of Best Picture nominees at the Oscars. Okay? Okay. You want to hear the four nom- the five nominees? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you the four losers first. Okay? <laughs> four Weddings and a Funeral, which, again, was Richard Curtis's high point. I think it's Love Actually. Other people think it's Notting Hill. But really, Four Weddings and a Funeral was one of his best movies, if not his best film. Best Picture nominee. Quiz Show nominated. Robert Redford's film about the 1950s game show scandal. Great film. If you haven't seen Quiz Show, I haven't haven't seen that one. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. Scorsese actually appears in the film as an actor. It's great. Hmm. You should see that. that. That's really good. That was nominated for Best Picture. And now we get into the three big ones. The Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Up for Best Picture. Pulp Fiction. Up for Best Picture. Those four all lost. To Forrest Gump. Well, yeah. And that's considered the, the five, like that's one of the five best collections. Normally when the Oscars come around, nowadays you can get up to 10 nominees. Right. So you, you have, I don't want to say duds, but you have a few more in there that people know have no shot. But back in the day, prior to 2009, like 2008 was the last year there was only five nominees. By the way, another trivia. Do you know why they changed it? Do you know why after 2008. I remember, you told me this and I forgot they why. They changed it to where now you can have up to 10 nominees. 
because the Dark Knight got snubbed and did That's not right. get nominated. And you... Heath Ledger's final role yeah. did not get a Best Picture nomination, and everybody was aghast. They're like, how can this movie be left out? Right. So they changed it. I mean, some people argue that's not why they changed it. That's why they changed it. That's why they changed it. <laughs> now you can have up to 10. And now movies like The Dark Knight would get nominated, right? Right. Like, like movies that you would never think would get nominated before would now can get nominated. But back in the day when there was only five, there's usually one or two, like the front runners, maybe a third wild card one. And then there's two films that are like, these films have no chance. 1994 was five awesome films that in any other year probably could have won Best Picture. Right, right. Four Weddings and a Funeral is that good. Yeah. And that was Richard Curtis's high point. So, little interesting thing on him. It's also worth noting About Time is not considered as highly regarded as Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, mm. what was the other one, Bridget Jones's Diary, or Love Actually. Those are all considered far better than About Time, and why do you think that is? I think this has something to do with it. Probably, yeah, yeah. You I know? mean, that's for real. I mean, if <laughs> the love people, interest is a manipulator, watch, people <laughs> a, a mass manipulator, borderline rapist, serial, again, if you, if you, <laughs> serial, serial manipulator, borderline serial rapist, if you ask me. But anyway. <laughs> But anyway, he'd um, be canceled today. What but he would be that movie, and he would be canceled today. <laughs> anyway, but no, I mean, people, men and women, can watch Notting Hill, right, mm-hmm. and and fall in love with the characters. They can watch Four Weddings and a Funeral. They can watch Love Actually, mm-hmm. and identify with some of the characters, right? I had a hard time feeling for Tim, wanting to root for Tim sympathizing with Tim, Tim to me was unlikable and I wanted everybody else to be free of him. Hmm. That's harsh. It came out wrong. No, no, it's right. I wanted everybody else to be free of him. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he, and, and then, you know, there's, there's one other little thing. There's one other little nugget. When he first meets Harry, his roommate, yeah, he knocks on the door and Harry, you can hear Harry inside the building. He's like, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> and he comes to the door and he's like, I just had the greatest idea I ever had, and you ruined it. He never changes that moment. He could have easily gone back in time five fucking minutes and thought, you know what, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll go to the bar. I'll go to the bar for a half hour, and I'll wait and have a drink, and I'll wait a half hour, and then I'll go knock on Harry's yeah, door. That's a dick move, man. Total dick move. <laughs> And you have the power to do that, you asshole. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) And you don't. You don't even fix that. What a dick. So, right, and again, that's at the turning point. That's at the first break, right? That's when we get into act two. So, right off the bat, then. See, I was sympathetic towards him at the beginning when he had the summer of Charlotte. Yeah, And she shoots him down twice. Right. Because I'm like, oh, see, even changing the past won't fix everything. I was on his side. And then that happened like a scene later. You're like, oh, you're never going to get Barbie. And then that happens. And then he could have got Barbie, and he doesn't. Right. And then that scene happens, and I'm like, you dick, you could have gone back and fixed it. So that Harry has his great idea, he can write it down. You fucking don't even change that? It would have cost five minutes of your life. Right. You fucking prick. <laughs> anyway, I was pissed off from then on. <laughs> and he could have just went and had a pint. And it just went over and over and over and over and over again. Every time he redid the sex scene, I'm like, this is rape. Does anybody else see this? Yeah. Like, this is like, this is against her will unknowingly. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm going too far with the rape accusation. But anyway, <laughs> I just, I was just, I was just, at that point, I was just pissed. I was like, I can't sympathize with this character. I can't feel for this well, character. I don't want him to win. As and it that's is a, with a lot of time travel movies, I mean, there's a there's usually problems. <laughs> right. But then if you look at somewhere in time, you're rooting for Richard. Because he's not, he can't manipulate anything. He's trying to live it how it happened. If anything, he's trying to go back and relive what already happened. Right, right. Right? And he's powerless to to manipulate anything. In fact, he's the underdog the entire time. The manager keeps pushing him down more and more and more. You just want him to deck Christopher Plummer in the face. <laughs> like, I wanted to deck him like six times. And I, if there was a time I got pissed off in Somewhere in Time, it's that at least McKenna doesn't deck him more. Yeah. She should be like, look, motherfucker, you're my manager. You work for me. If I want to dick down Superman, I'm going to dick down Superman. And you're going to sit there and like it. But she kowtows to everything he says. Yeah. He says, no, you are not to see him anymore. Oh, but why? Like, no, you should say, I'm the boss. I pay you. Right. So that's the part I would get mad at somewhere in time is that she's not strong enough. She doesn't assert herself enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, God, both these movies got me fired up. <laughs> All right, let's do Six Degrees, man. All are, right, Are, are we done degrees. here? So did you get my update about Six Degrees? No. Oh, so we're not going to do the update. Why? Why not? What well, I thought the one I sent you was an easy, like, softball. Yeah. Because you got it so easy. Well, and that was the thing. You text me, and you said, I got it in five. And I was like, well, let me look at it. And I'm like, yeah, that is an easy one. I actually got it in three. I was like, I shouldn't tell him that. Because then he's going to want to redo it. I did. I tried to redo I it. I just, I see, see it, it now. I know I see it now. You want to redo it. I, so still, let, I still think let's, it would let's, be. Let's tell them what it was. Okay. And then we'll look at the redo. Yeah, because I think the redo is still easy because that kid was in two big movies. Well, I, I haven't even got a chance. Okay, so really let's do- let's so, talk so, about. So, I I originally sent you Susan French and Charlie the, Curtis. Okay, so let's tell people who they are. So Susan French is the old woman in Somewhere in Time. Yes, the one that comes up to Christopher Reeve at the beginning with the locket and says, "Come back to me." Right. So stopwatch, pocket watch, and Charlie Curtis is in About Time, but he plays the young Tim, right? When he goes back in time, yeah, he's like a five-year-old. Run, little kid running on the beach. Yep. Okay. So this was interesting because neither one of them really have been in a lot. Right. But <coughs> Charlie Curtis, in fact, has only been in one other movie. A big one. And it, it, No, not not Charlie Curtis. What was the other Charlie, one? Oh, no, Charlie you're Curtis right. Was in, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlie but there Curtis was a couple was in, big names in that, in that movie. Yeah, Charlie Curtis was in Chips. Yeah, Chips. Which was the movie based on the TV show. With Michael Pena and Dax Shepard and right. comedy. Right. But also in that film was Vincent D'Onofrio. Right. Who was in Mystic Pizza with Julia Roberts, who was in Flatliners with Susan French. Susan French was actually in Flatliners. Right. She so was that was easy. Termin- she was a terminally ill patient. Yeah. So I was like, I hide and ride. That was, the, I got it in three. Well, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm riding high here. Yeah. And when so, I saw that, I, I, yeah, I, I went a different route and I got it in five, but you're right. That was easy. So, so I, what is this other one now? I what tried to the, amend who? it to see if we could do uh, Sean Hayden. Okay. Let me see here. So Sean it's, Hayden. Who's Sean Hayden? The, wait a minute. Um, with Charlie Curtis. So Charlie Curtis is the same. So Sean Hayden was the little kid 
of the old man. Oh, he was Arthur. He was he the was, little Arthur. He was the right? little Arthur. So it would have been two little kids. Now, if take a look at IMDb and take a look at what he was in. And so Sean I Hayden's think, only been in two movies. Yes. Look at what he was in, though. Somewhere in uh, somewhere in time in Blues Brothers. Yes. <laughs> so all right. Well. Fuck, let's try to work this. Let's let's go yeah, back. Yeah, there's back. some let's big names in Blue, Blues Brothers. Let's go Let's go backwards. <laughs> Charlie Curtis, we know, was only... I can only use chips, right? Because I can't use about time. Mm-hmm. So if I can only use chips... Who do we... Uh, Michael Pena? No. Dax Shepard? No. Let me, let me... Let me... Who else is in that? Rosa Salazar? Maze Runner, I guess. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Rosa Salazar was in Maze Runner with the kid from Love Actually. The the little kid. Uh, Seriously? What's his name? Thomas Brody Sangster, right? Thomas something? She was in what? She was in Maze Runner. And he was in that. He was in that as an older kid because I remember that was his big break. It wasn't big break. Love actually was his big break, but he was just a kid. By the my, by the time Maze Runner came out, he was like a hunky young early twenties, and people were like, "Oh wow, look at the kid from Love Actually now. He's like a little hunky kid." That doesn't help me though. Well, Love Actually, <laughs> Love Actually. No, there's a lot of people in Love Actually, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So we have to somehow get Love Actually to Blues Brothers. How are we gonna get Love Actually to Blues Brothers? Love Actually, Love Actually. Wait, I got it! 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 <laughs> Holy shit, I got it! Wait, this might be too many, though. This may be past six. <laughs> Love Actually... I'm doing this on the fly, though. Love Actually has Alan Rickman. Okay. Right? Yeah. Alan uh... Rickman's in Die Hard. Right? Are you following me? Yeah. Okay. Alan Rickman's in Die Hard. The limo driver, Theo... Or no, Argyle. Argyle, the limo driver in Die Hard, is in Blues Brothers. Is he really? He's the the kid that tries to steal the guitar. All right, look this up. You got to convince me. Oh, my God. Really? But how many is that? That could be like seven. Hang on. Charlie Curtis is in Chips. That's one. Chips. Rosa Salazar is in Maze Runner. That's two. Thomas Brody Sangster's in Love Actually. That's three. Alan Rickman's in Die Hard. That's four. Devereaux White is the kid. Blues Brothers, that's five. <laughs> five. I bet you it can be less. <laughs> oh, it's probably in like three or two, but yeah. fuck, you caught me off guard. Yeah, that was well. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Dude, I need well, a nap. The, 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 Again, the goal isn't to stump Jerome. The goal right, right. is to see if to we see can if find happen, two right. actors that weren't that aren't connected in six. And Sean Hayden and Charlie Curtis are both child actors. Yeah, yeah, that's who what, are only in two films. Yeah, that's and amazing. We can't use the film that we're talking about, can't, and so that's really, an added level of difficulty. So we only had Blues Brothers and Chips to go with. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That was good. <laughs> what? I tell you, I thought once I hit Love Actually, I hit a wall, but then I realized that fucking that's that was that was my all is lost moment, and then I had the Dark Knight of the Soul, and I went right to the break to three. So probably tomorrow you're gonna come back and say I did it in three, 
and uh, we'll have to I'll, we'll have to put a post that we an update or yeah, something. Yeah, I'll I could probably spend hours on this. <laughs> What's his name? His name's Devereaux Wright, right? Right? As I always get it fucked up. He's so anyway. He's Argyle at, and the limo driver in Die Hard. But he's so in. Uh, and I always remember this scene too because me and my buddy Mark. We love this part of Blues Brothers because he comes in, he's like 12 years old in the movie, and he tries to steal a guitar. And they're like, hey, and it's Ray Charles. Ray Charles, who's blind, by the way, <laughs> knows he's there. He's like, hey, don't touch that guitar. Like, he just senses it. Yeah. And the kid's like, get scared, and he runs out. That's Argyle. Oh, my driver. gosh. That's amazing. What is his name, though? What is it? I want to make sure I get it right. Devoro White. I said Devoro White. Devoro White. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Fuck. <laughs> Mark Mark Hughes is somewhere listening to this. He'd be very proud. He'd be very proud. He's a huge fan of Blues Brothers. He knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. He knows it's Argyle. He knows it's Argyle, the limo driver. All right. Well done. Well, you got it twice today. Man, I thought I was sk- skating clean. I'm like, I got six degrees in the bag today. Yeah. Fuck, I didn't even see that text. God damn. Well, good stuff. Um, so we got to land this plane. Well, yeah. well are, are we releasing this on Valentine's Day? Hopefully that week, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So by the time you all listen to this, give a special <laughs> hug and kiss to your significant other. But also, the Lions may have already won the Super Bowl. <laughs> I can't wait. I am so excited about this weekend, man. Uh, it's been I mean, my whole lifetime, really. I mean, in fact, by the time you listen to this, I might already be dead. <laughs> Who knows? Because if the Lions win the Super Bowl, God knows. You might die with a smile on I your face. I might die with a smile on my face. I'll be like, I'll be like Richard Collier in the end of Somewhere in Time, except instead of dying with a broken heart. Although, although if you remember, if you go back and watch his dying scene, he's smiling. Because he knows he's going to heaven. He knows he's going to go see Elise McKenna. Yeah. So uh, that'll be me. I'm going to die just smiling that the Lions won the Super Bowl. Big road ahead, long road ahead. Still have to go at San Fran. But still, let's <laughs> see if we get by this week. But still. You know, all these top dogs have been being knocked off. Maybe San Fran you, knocked off. I'm telling you, maybe they're the next one. <laughs> so, folks, when you're listening to this, hopefully look at your score and look at it. Man, did the Lions win? Did the Lions win the Super Bowl? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> Good. Alright folks, we're gonna land this plane. Keep drinking and keep watching. Yeah, and go to your local cinema. Mm-hmm.